Hey, Dad, you were getting into comics right as Marvel Silver Age started, right? What was that like? Oh, it was great. We had superheroes who finally seemed like real people living in real cities and dealing with a much more realistic world than the other comics companies. Right. I remember you telling me that those New York City water towers always reminded you of Spider-Man when you saw them. Yes, but it wasn't just the realistic stuff that was so great. Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko made it look so larger than life. The dark dimension from Doctor Strange, all those Jack Kirby machines, that two-page spread when the Galactus showed up, or any two-page spread for that matter. And Odin's hats. Man, I love Odin's Silver Age hats. It must have been cool seeing all those comics in person rather than just on a screen or in a big, or in a big trade paperback years later. It was. It had some really cool ones. I believe it. Like what? Well, I, you know, I did have Fantastic Four number one. Seriously? The start of Marvel Comics as we know it? The first issue of comics' first family? The issue without which so much of pop culture wouldn't even exist? Yep, that's the one. Where'd it end up? I mean, we could probably sell that and retire. Well, it wouldn't be worth much. It wasn't in great shape by the time I got it. We didn't know that comics would ever be worth anything. Oh, no. So the guy that gave it to me had already cut out the cool monster pictures to tape on his wall. What?! I'm Miles Stokes. And I'm Steve Stokes, filling in for Jay Editon. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 270 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. And welcome also to the show to you, Steve Stokes, my father. It's so good to finally have you on the podcast. Yep, we've talked about it many times. I'm glad to be here. Yes, uh, a mere five years and change later. So, uh, listeners, I'm in Bradenton, Florida right now, which is uh, one town over from Sarasota, Florida, where I was born and where you now live. And uh, we're, I'm actually here for your birthday. So once again, happy 70th birthday. Thanks. It's really cool to uh, be here. And it's also really cool to get a chance to talk with you on the air about your comics history, because you, of course, were the one that got me into comics years and years and years ago. Uh, so I guess what I wanted to talk about in large part was your own history with comics, because like we sort of alluded to in the cold open, you were pretty much there from the start of Marvel Comics as we know it, right? Yes. Yeah, for at least that... The ones where Stanley and Kirby really started getting creative again. Um, before that, I was reading DC, you know, Superman, Green Lantern. I mean, there was some good art. I remember the Atomic Knights art was incredible. Um, Adam Strange, all kinds of interesting things. But especially like with Superman, the plots were just not much of anything. Short stories, the... The squares, which I know there's a name, it's escaping me on the pages, were all the same size, the same consistency, repeated over and over. So, you know, I read the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and the Hulk, and, and there started to be some kind of creativity. And you saw the real world, not Gotham or Metropolis. It, did, it was great. Well, so at the beginning, before you got into Marvel, what initially brought you into superhero comics? Was it a specific person that got you into them, or was it just sort of ubiquitous during that time? Well, my father taught me how to read by reading the Sunday funnies and the daily comics to me. And of course, you've got, we had at that time, Tarzan and Flash Gordon and things like that. 
So it was just a natural segue to find comics in a drugstore or someplace on the rack and pick some up. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like, especially back in, in the 50s when you were little, like that was just something kids did was to read comics. Yep. Yep. And uh, I never was much into the Archie and the funny stuff. Although, you know, later on I heard I missed some stuff with Carl Barks. But I like the stuff that's more realistic. I like the colors of the costumes, you know, realistic drawing wise anyway. Right, yeah. The plot lines in the 60s were not always so much. Although, like you were saying, with Marvel, it seemed to be a little more realistic, a little more like, I mean, as Marvel has always said, the world outside your window. Yeah. Yeah, just the, like I say, the, the real cities. You know, I know at some point in some of the comics, they actually had some in Detroit, which was really cool. That was later on. But... Oh, that was a Justice League era in Detroit for a while, wasn't it? Like yeah. Back in... Yeah, back when DC started getting a little more creative after Marvel did. Yeah, I mean, I, I was only, I've only read The Silver Age in bits and pieces, but it did seem like once Marvel kind of stepped up the superhero comic genre's game, DC was playing catch-up for a little bit, almost. Mm, more than a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. So, as far as Marvel, do you have any memories of your first experience with Marvel? I mean, I know we talked about um, that, that poor, demolished copy of Fantastic Four number 1, which, I mean, fair enough, those were cool monsters. But what was the first time you remembered seeing a Marvel comic and realizing, hey, this is something different? That was definitely Fantastic Four number one. I like the, the characters that Stanley created with the personalities and the fighting, although the thing was a little more ornery in the beginning. Um, in fact, a little aside there, I, you know, I know the first couple of Fantastic Four movies weren't all that considered to be all that good, but they, to me, they kind of captured the feel of the old Fantastic Four, which was pretty lighthearted. So I appreciated them. Yeah, I think those movies, especially with The Thing, The Human Torch, um, the dynamic that they had with, uh, what was it, um, Michael Chiklis and uh, Chris Chris Evans, I believe, the dynamic those two actors were able to get, um, I thought was just exactly what it should have been, even if the rest of the movie, you know, there were parts that were less good. Yeah, like I say, I just liked, liked the feel of it. The, you know, the, and of course, uh, the mailman showing up uh, was, as Stanley, that was pretty funny. Um, I just wish they'd done Dr. Doom a little bit differently. Like, if I have one complaint about those first two Fantastic Four movies, well, okay, they're not the first ones. There was the, the Roger Corman one that nobody ever saw. Um, but I feel like with Dr. Doom, you have to get a few things right. He has to run his own country. He has to refer to himself in the third person. And he has to be larger than life in every conceivable way. And they didn't quite capture that in those movies, or from what I understand in the more recent Fantastic Four movie. Well, that's kind of what I was going to say. Well, the recent one, uh, forget Dr. Doom there, but I really think we have not seen the real Dr. Doom yet. Uh, I mean, we know that the rights are going to Disney slash Marvel Studios. How are you feeling about that? Optimistic? Cautious? Very optimistic. I mean, you know, first of all, we haven't seen any Fantastic Four in a while, and I'm hoping that they bring it in and they really give them the place that they deserve in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is not going to be some little side thing, but major, major characters. So interesting to see how they do that. Yeah, and we now have a confirmed new FF movie on the schedule, even if we don't know anything about it. So yeah. I heard that, but cool. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited, most definitely. So 
I know you started buying comics as a kid, and was that something where you were just picking them up here and there as you found them in the newsstand, or were you a dedicated collector from early on? How did that develop? I don't know if I was a dedicated collector, but I was definitely a dedicated reader. I would go over to two different drugstores. I think it was on Thursdays that they got their new comics in and buy all the stuff, and if they didn't have it one drugstore, I'd try another drugstore. In fact, I remember getting in trouble one time because I bought all the comics at one drugstore. I said, well, I don't want them to think I'm stealing them, so I stuck them under my shirt and went to the other drugstore, and then as I walked out, I took them out, and then I came, hey, you steal those comics? <laughs> <laughs> I, I sympathize with that, like worrying so much about how something's going to look that it ends up looking even worse than it otherwise yeah. would. <laughs> but yeah, we back to, you know, of course, obviously no comic stores, but it was strictly a matter of going to the newsstand, good old Ludington News. Mm-hmm. Bring them to the drugstores. And it seemed like back in the Silver Age, if you were to miss an issue, it was less of a big deal. We weren't seeing those stories as much back then, where just one issue float into the next, float into the next, float into the next. They seemed to be a little more standalone. Yeah, but you still, I still didn't want to miss any issues, you know. I did my best to get every one available, but, you know, as you, like you say, if you didn't get one, uh, kind of out of luck. Yeah. And, I mean, that seemed to inform your collecting habits uh, for ages and ages, just that uninterrupted collection. I mean, I remember seeing your uh, your comics collection, both the stuff that you gave me and the, the stuff that you still have, and it's just great, big, uninterrupted blocks. Yeah, when I got back into it again, uh, I was definitely as a collector, I'd go to the conventions, and I had boxes, every uh, full runs of things for years. So you mentioned conventions. Now, are you talking more like uh, swap meet style conventions or like what would later turn into something like New York Comic Con? Well, it was far, far from any of the Comic Cons they have nowadays. Very local. Most of it was boxes of comics you could buy. They might have a few artists. I remember one convention, I won original art by, I believe it was Rich Buckler of Thor. Um, they were pretty small scale. Yeah, I believe it. I, I feel like I have vague memories of going to something like this with you when I was little, but I would have been really little if that's the case. So who even knows if I'm just constructing that. So with those collections, I mean, you mentioned that, uh, when you got started reading, it was just the newsstand. It was just those, those spinner racks or whatever, but eventually the direct market became a thing. Comic shops became a thing. When did you transition to those? That would, let's see now, that would have been in Michigan. I think they had a comic store in Farmington I used to go to. I don't know if it was so much a regular thing back then. That's that's quite a while back. Uh, I know I had quite a collection. And I do remember when I, this is sort of a side note, when I moved to Florida, I said, well, you know, time to stop collecting again and gave them all to a relative to sell and they found a couple of silverfish in one of the boxes and threw them all away oh no oh that's awful that's like even worse than the i mean at least with the kid that cut the monsters out of the comic you can sympathize with that you're like yes they're awesome jack kirby monsters but silverfish are just creatures of pure evil they destroy <laughs> books that's that's a crime and throwing them away was a crime too because there are only a couple silverfish. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure most of those could have been salvaged. But, I mean, it seemed like that was so much the attitude toward comics for so many people, is that they were a disposable medium. It almost seemed like collecting was, was the exception rather than the rule for, for a lot of folks. 
Well, it had picked up more at that point, and not to the degree to the degree that it is now. Um, in some ways, more to the degree because you had old issues and people wanted them, which doesn't seem to be so much the case now. Yeah, yeah. When the market fell apart in the early '90s, I mean, I still remember the five different covers of X Men Volume Two Number One. And as somebody who was reading at that point in, I think it was 1991, I was convinced, like, all right, I would keep that comic and I was going to retire on it. That was going to be my fortune. But unfortunately, since everybody thought that, the market just got glutted, and now you just find like long boxes of X Men Volume Two Number One just like sitting, gathering dust. Had we but known. So what about the comics community back then? I mean, obviously you had people at conventions buying and selling and that sort of thing, but was there the same kind of, uh, of nerd community, albeit smaller back then, where you could like, you know, go and discuss comics with various people who were also into them, or was that really a few and far between kind of situation? Well, thinking back to Michigan, uh, there may have been, I don't think I was as involved in it, just going to buy the comics mainly. Um, part I remember is more when I moved to Florida and started getting back into it. And then there was a definite community. There was, you'd go into the store, you'd know the owner, you'd discuss the comics. So probably was in Michigan too, but not to the degree that I remember years later in Florida. Mm Mm-hmm. And was that mostly, like, based around the comic stores itself? Like, was that sort of the geographic hub of that community? Um, as far as Florida? Yeah. Um, for collectors, yeah, there people would go in there. They would have their pick list. Uh, the guys that ran the stores were into it. Um, particular store basically had the character from The Simpsons running it. I'm not sure if... Uh, the creator met the guy before he created the character on The Simpsons, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Jay and I have talked about that guy before. I want to say his name was Russ, but I could be. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was sort of uh, <clears throat> uncanny, the similarity. Like, that, right down to the uh, the appearance, the judgmental uh, attitude. And I said, why do you buy that comic? That comic sucks. That guy's no good. Batman is good. Spider-Man is good. Don't buy that. I don't know why you buy those. <laughs> I feel like whatever the uh, comic book merchant equivalent of Bedside Manor is, yeah, that guy's was maybe not so hot. <laughs> yeah, the other one, the store in Bradenton, definitely a different feel there. Yeah, that was, uh, what was that, Time Machine 2? I feel like I, I used to get... so, yeah. Yeah, I used to get comics from there back in the day. So before I was reading superhero comics... I would read the the Ninja Turtles comic that was done by Archie. So, like, not the original Eastman and Laird one, but the one that was initially based off the cartoon. Got super into that. Honestly, underrated comic. It kind of holds up to this day. Um, but, yeah, no, that was, like, the coolest thing to go into this, this whole world of all these different types of comics that I just knew so little about. Like, I'd seen yours, but there was just this entire world. And uh, I think right there, that was kind of part of the start of my own curiosity, um, in addition to everything I got from you, like hearing about all these characters and stories and paging through uh, your old comics as well. It was really cool. But, all right, so this is an X-Men podcast, so I feel like we have to, we have to talk about the yeah, X-Men. Yeah, definitely. Because we could go all over the place with this, including like Eastman and Laird and Ninja Turtles, for example. But 
Yeah. So obviously you're an X-Men fan. You were an X-Men fan then. I mean, I would say the majority of the comics I got from you were, were X-Men comics. So what was it about the various X books, you know, X-Men and X-Factor, New Mutants and all them, that especially appealed to you? Because that seems to be a sizable portion of the comics that you collected. Just some of the storylines that were much more relevant, uh, discrimination and women's rights. I mean, seeing Kitty Pride as a Jewish character, I thought was really cool. Um, dealing with, you know, of course, there's the soap opera element, which you like when you start to develop attachment to the characters. Um, you know, who's with who and who breaks up with who, um, who gets killed, which uh, didn't like that at all. Um, Sing Magneto reform, um, the Hellfire Club. There's so many different elements that they threw in there that really grabbed you and made you want to see what was going to happen next. Uh, and the X Men were great. Claremont was fantastic. Oh yeah, no that that run just that's one, been one of the coolest things about doing this show is getting to focus in such great detail on that run, which we're, we're now past Claremont seventeen years, but. It was just so enjoyable to just dig into all the little details of it. Like, it's just so rich, both thematically and in terms of the quality of the writing, in terms of Claremont playing the long game and planting little seeds that would later become very relevant, even if when he planted the seeds, he didn't necessarily know what they would grow into. Yeah, I love the long game. That's my kind of comic. These stories per issue is kind of like the uh, procedural police stories one thing's happened then another thing's happened i love to have the connection through the whole thing it's like a year or two long or longer story and we were thinking about other things i thought of other things like the new mutants but i love the new mutants they were fantastic and sinkevich's art and warlock ah sinkevich is fantastic Talking about the um, the spinoffs, uh, you were talking about how much you appreciated the long game and the connections, and I know for me, that's part of why I love X-Men so much. And I think with New Mutants graphic novel, that's where that started, because all of a sudden you have these books operating in parallel. And of course, you'd have that in the Marvel Universe since the start, but to have two books that were so closely connected written by the same uh, people, you know, Chris Claremont, and then later Chris Claremont and Louis Simonson, who we'd worked with for years— that made it feel like such a, a world that you could get lost in, a world that you could just sort of live in. And it was this nice, uh, I don't want to say vacation that you could take, because like you were saying, there were a lot of, of weighty topics there, but you could just have this almost parallel existence like in the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I think to respond to that indirectly, I'm just thinking about the things that I really enjoyed from that. Of course, the X-Men was almost like the, the foundation, and the New Mutants was the offshoot, but the New Mutants got crazier and more creative, like, you know, Ileana Rasputin and her magic involved in that, and um, Rane and, the, you know, the werewolf and um, the characters interacting, and Doug Ramsey with Warlock, which was really a different situation. It's just... It, there was more freedom, creativity, whatever, with the, with the New Mutants in some ways than with the X-Men, who had great stories and all that. But I, I liked the New Mutants better, I think, at that point, during that period. 
I completely agree, actually. I mean, X-Men was phenomenal during the Claremont era, but New Mutants was, it was more experimental in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I think both had their place. I feel like having one more traditional, albeit still, you know, deep superhero book and the experimental book beside it, like they really benefited each other, having that kind of a, a varied ecosystem. So uh, around that, do you have sort of like a definitive, uh, a definitive X-Men? Like what for you the X-Men were, whether it's a certain group of characters or a certain uh, plot line or certain creators, like what just says X-Men to you more than anything else? Oh, uh, tough question. In a lot of ways, the original five, especially when they became more than they were in the first few issues in the blue and yellow uniforms. Um, you know, Cyclops, Beast, Angel, Iceman, Jean Grey, Marvel Girl. Um, that was the, the essence of the X-Men. I mean, I love the stories with the other ones, but to me, you know, when they brought them back, that was a true X-Men to me. Still kind of is. So how was it coming to uh, X-Factor when that started, like seeing those five characters together again? Exactly. That, they, you know, they brought them back. So that was really cool. Really appreciated that. And even today, I like to see the original characters. Yeah, no, me too. And it's, it's cool being where we are now in continuity. And because, you know, death is, of course, a revolving door in the Marvel Universe. We just have to accept that that's going to be the case. But it is really cool seeing the the O five uh you know all extant again that's one of the things I'm looking forward to about the um the new era of uh, of X Men because I think uh, X Men number one is going to be coming out in a few days as we record this is you know even if those characters aren't all going to be on the same team just knowing that oh yeah yeah the original five they're all they're all doing their thing yeah and of course now we have the ultimate retconning mechanism in place. Yeah. Yeah, we try not well um, since we try not to spoil current uh comics on here, but yeah, I know you and I have had some pretty excellent weekly conversations as House of X and Powers of Ten have been coming out, because man, what a head trip. Yes, that's going to be very interesting to see how they continue with that. I'm looking forward to that very much. Seriously. So I guess going more into uh, your history and then coming into my history as a comics reader. So one of my first memories, um, I don't remember a lot from my childhood. My memory's fuzzy from when I was little, but I do remember you reading me X Factor number four as a bedtime story. That was where they were, they were fighting the Alliance of Evil. I think, I want to say that's the one where Frenzy's on the cover, or maybe that was number three or five. But X-Men for me was there from the start. And then one Christmas, I think it was, I got that long box of comics from you. And it was just this gigantic brick of comics. It seemed like something I would never be able to make it through. And it was, it was mostly X-Men. I think there might have been um, Simonson's, Simonson's store run in there as well. For me, I think that's, that's kind of my comic origin story. And I've always been curious. I don't know that we've specifically talked about this, but why those comics like I, I know you wanted to get me into comics and i'm really glad you did but what made you decide that those were going to be the comics that would would do that oh cream of the crop <laughs> you know simon's in store oh, one of my favorites um and the x-men and new mutants were great they were the ones that i felt were the best stories um I don't know, am I supposed to say anything in negative about other comics? It's not really negative. It's just I kind of felt like 
they had more expansive worldview, whereas some of the other characters were just in their own little world. And, they, you know, like Spider-Man's villains were mm, a little more hokey, maybe, you know. Um, Fantastic Four, I don't, I don't know why I didn't give Fantastic, Fantastic Four, because they were always so cosmic, and I love the cosmic. But, I don't know, I guess the best writing was X-Men and Simonson. Ugh. Totally. Can't say too much. <laughs> Too much praise for him. God. Yeah, I know. And I mean, and apparently it worked because of the two podcasts I am doing and have done. It's The X-Men and Simonson's Thor. So it definitely had a, a strong, strong influence. Um, I also remember, I think it was around the same time, getting a current X-Men comic. Um, it was X-Men Volume 2, Number 6, I believe in an Easter basket. And so for me, that was like the bridge, you know, I had all the old stuff from mostly the eighties in these big uninterrupted runs. And then all of a sudden it was just diving right into the middle of a storyline that was coming out right then. And that was also right around the time that the X-Men cartoon came out, which I was just like bonkers into. I mean, that was the, the coolest thing in the universe to me. And so all of a sudden I had like the past and the present of X-Men all right there. And how was that to look at? Because I feel like I probably got a little obsessed. Like, was that cool or was it weird or was it both? With you? Uh, it was the norm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get into the comics. I mean, look at me now. Scary. <laughs> anyway. Um, I was just thinking, you know, there was a point, I remember when I gave you all the comics, there was a point, you know, not so much of a memory about the comic in the Easter Basket, but just thinking back to the various stages that were involved with you, of course, the first stage was not involved with you, this, you know, which was when I was a kid, obviously, but then years later, I think you were an excuse. <laughs> I wanted to, I, I wanted to get back into reading comics, I was kind of interested, but I said, well, you know, I'm going to tell myself and tell your mother that I'm getting these to read to you, which I did. But it was also for me, to read, especially <laughs> the X-Men. I remember vividly, I think probably in 1989, we'd gone on a trip and we had the, the white cover. I think it was an annual of Magneto, which was one of I think it was the first time he had decided he wasn't going to be evil. I had vague memories of that. But that's one of my memories of the X-Men at that point. And then I stopped again in 89 due to life disruptions. Um, really didn't start again until recently because they brought back the Fantastic Four. And of course, hearing all the stories on Miles, you know, about the podcasts and the current things with Miles. So that's kind of a brief summation of my history. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I definitely want to talk what, about what it's like um, coming back. But to go back to something um, you said, you were talking about how you were, you were telling yourself you were uh, buying the comics for me, but you're also buying them for you. But honestly, that's, I think that's awesome. And I think that's a lot, of, a lot of the attitude that I've certainly taken about comics, which is that, yes, uh, I want to enjoy them for myself. I, I very much do enjoy them for myself. But so much of what I love about comics, but also just about pop culture, about stories, about passions of any sort, is sharing them. And I think that's something I really got from you, because 
you were just so so into comics and like on on multiple levels and that would that that enthusiasm was contagious and that's something that i've always tried to bring to the podcast and i think you know what you're talking about right there that's kind of where it started yeah and of course my sharing now basically of course is with you and going into the current comic store and talking about various comics that we read with the guy that uh, runs the place and they're in the movies and the tv shows you know um umbrella academy things like that so there is some sharing i probably don't do it as much i'm probably just with you mainly (laughs) no that's that's always one of the highlights of my week like we talk um on wednesday afternoons and it's always like all right have you read the new whatever yet and usually the answer is yes yes we have we both have yeah so you mentioned that the Fantastic Four returning um, a little bit after Secret Wars, that was sort of what, what got you back in. But you've also jumped into a lot of stuff. Like now you're reading most of the X books, you're reading some of the, the other books as well. Like I know Immortal Hulk is one you've been enjoying. How was that coming back to comics after almost 30 years away? Like, is it kind of hard trying to pick up and figure out where things uh where things left off and what's happened in between? Or is it one of those things where you just sort of dive in and pick it up as you go, or some of both? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, every time I would come to visit you, whether it was in North Carolina or Portland, especially when I was staying with you, I would read some of your comics. So that kept me up a little bit. There were a lot of different things. There were some of the Marvel stuff, like Hawkeye, and you know fables and different things so there was an an element of reading and picking up certain things for myself like concrete which i loved and sandman um but then when the fantastic four came back i said okay this is it i want to try this comic i love this comic and putting and reading it was kind of like putting on an old soft comfortable shoe there were similarities still is one of my favorite teams and you know it's the same characters so there was that and then of course you're always talking about the x-men and so i decided well i'm gonna try that you know they had the the spot to jump in with the x-man series and then you talked about all the good series that were in the past. So I started picking up some of those, like Grant Morrison's run. Um, There are still characters that I wonder, hmm, this was really neat in this run. Where did they go? Which I'll find out eventually, hopefully. And some characters that are there now that are more important in one other run that I can know where they came from. So I'm still piecing things together with the X-Men. I mean, it's a very complex universe. Um, And then some things you just keep hearing how great they are. And so the Immortal Hulk. I know. No, um, I've actually started reading that on on your recommendation. Um, And I I love Al Ewing as a writer, but he's just doing so much. And my pull list is already very large. But yeah, that's that's on it now. It's uh, listeners, if you haven't read The Immortal Hulk and you're okay with with horror books, because it's kind of a horror book, um, highly freaking recommended. But as far as the stuff you've you've gone back to, because like you said, you know, you're reading the current stuff, but you've also been picking up, you know, some trade paperbacks uh, from your your years of, of absence. Have there been any particular highlights of those past books that you've read? Um, 
had one in brain and just went out. Um, well, I enjoyed reading Captain Marvel. I like or Ms. Marvel. I'm sorry, Ms. Marvel. I like to see diversity in comics. I appreciate that very much. Um, and I, I do like family type personal orientation things. It's just that something like Spider-Man, that universe is so huge, I don't think I can jump into it. Um, see other ones. Well, I, I've loved Runaways on TV. I think the series is fantastic. I always used to like Cloak and Dagger, but I'm starting to get into reading the Runaways comic. Enjoyed uh, that. Um, and the Hawkeye I said I read before was fantastic. Oh, the Matt Fraction run? and. Jason Aaron, uh, I'm starting to follow Jason Aaron. So, of course, the Avengers series that he's written with, especially with all the taking the characters like Ghost Rider and making it a universal thing and, you know, just kind of reshaping the universe is really, and, you know, Odin and Thor and that, that universe and then Galactus is another power and you know, it, it's interesting to see all these different parts from the Marvel Universe kind of becoming somewhat cohering and, you know, making sense. It's things that happen, I know, sure, something probably happened somewhere else that wasn't explained, but when Doctor Doom had captured Galactus and Doctor Strange had captured Galactus, I kind of said, eh, wait a minute now. So we'll see how that works out. Um, speaking of which, that's the second one that I got into because I've always loved Doctor Strange. So after Fantastic Four, into Doctor Strange. It's just the Steve Ditko Strange and that universe he created with Dormammu. Ah, that, that one I loved from day one. You're actually wearing a Doctor Strange t-shirt right now as we record this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> See? Look. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, audio mediums. Media? Mediums? Whichever, one of those. Um, yeah, so uh, coming back to comics now in the late 2010s and having read them so much in the 60s and 70s and 80s here and there, what feels different? I mean, I know you mentioned like the early DC stuff felt very formulaic, um, but do comics have a different sort of vibe now than they did then after being away for so long? Well, I think one thing is, of course, the the quality of the paper and such is better, and the art is just beautiful. A lot more use of full page, two page than there used to be, which I really appreciate. Um, and more, there don't doesn't seem to be a lot of creating of new villains, which is good because after so many years, eighty according to some reckonings. You've got enough villains. You've got enough universes created. You create too many more universes, and it's more superfluous. I appreciate that, that you've got these people like Jason Aaron that are taking all these characters from all over the place that have already been there and using them and maybe new aspects of them. Um, but I, I, it's like, for example, that one shot with Chris Claremont and... Uh, Bill Sienkiewicz with uh, the New Mutants. Oh, yeah, New Mutants War Children. Ah, oh, I mean, just like one or two panel pages of Sienkiewicz's art was just fantastic. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one because we have those classic creators who had that that famous run of the '80s coming back in the present day, and I do think it's interesting to see their um, their classic styles and their dynamic with one another, but filtered through a very modern lens. It's it's definitely a different feel. I agree. So we have a bunch of listener questions. I figured we could dive into, but before we do, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, just a little more. You know, when we were talking about doing this broadcast, I thought about what it was like and what I appreciated about Marvel that was so much better than the other comic companies. And part of it was characters that had seemed like they had a little more human feelings and weren't all super nice or super evil, period. Um, the interactions, but one of the things that really made Marvel good, this is what's one of the things I like about it now, and the other comic companies too, is the fact that all the comics were in the same universe and sometimes they crossed over, like when the Hulk and the Thing fought in Fantastic Four. I mean, that just didn't happen in the other companies. It was like one big Marvel universe. Yeah, we have this gloriously tangled tapestry, and that's one of my favorite things as well. I just love how rich and detailed and 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 just the level of care put into that universe, even if, like you said, occasionally Galactus is in two places at once, but you know, what can you do? So we had a number of uh, questions. I put out a call for questions on Twitter yesterday, so these were the very fast people who uh, who got back in touch. Um, so we have a question here from Books and Bobs who says, I'd love to know what comic or comic run defines your childhood most and why it made such an impact on you, and what character in comics do you relate to most? I still got to go back to uh, the Fantastic Four when I was young. And again, it was a lot of the crossovers, the things like the Hulk and the Thing fighting and the, the dynamic of, between the characters. Um, now, what was the second part of the question? Uh, a character that you identify with. So is it one of the FF that you sort of empathized with or a different character or just sort of... a kid? Mm, that's a toughie. Yeah, maybe I would like to identify with Mr. Fantastic. That he was smart and I was smart. Uh, I didn't stretch too well, though. <laughs> <laughs> and later on, I feel like he maybe made some iffy decisions, so it might have been safer to uh, not well, complete in the early days. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <clears throat> we have a question from Xavier Files. Are the ads better or worse today? The ads? Are the ads in, uh, in comic books, you know, between the story pages? Oh, nothing can replace the X-ray goggles <laughs> or the chameleons that you could pin onto your shirt. But most of the ads um, seem to be for other comics. Um, of course, then there's the ubiquitous Axe ad that seems to be on everything. Comics, the ads in comics then were, like I say, there's a big page of various and sundry, which um, interesting. Side note, I believe the people that did that comics page were in Sarasota, Florida. I know that the chameleons that they sold on pins were captured in Sarasota. Really? I had no idea. Yeah. And other ads. That's the main thing. Most of the ads now are much more colorful. Um, and then you've got the two-page ads with the superheroes interacting with the gummy bears or whatever particular thing they're advertising. <laughs> uh, you know, the main thing that was different, again, was that 
the little comics pages selling the weird little things like x-ray glasses and chameleons and things, which does not happen anymore. That's probably for the best. I feel like it didn't go too well for those chameleons. Um, I could more story on that one. <laughs> oh, did you ever buy one? No, but uh, I knew the guy that used to ship them. And when they first shipped them, they stuck the boxes on top of each other and they couldn't breathe. So they all died. So he recommended a new type of box that stacked differently so air would go through. So if you've got one of those chameleons, you can thank him. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, that's so cool. And actually, talking about Sarasota Connections, wasn't there one of the famous Bronze Age artists that you used to see when you worked at the post office? Yeah, Nick Cardi. Oh, man, Nick I love Cardi. Nick Cardi would come in with, you know, we would talk, and then that was about the time we came out with the DC superheroes on the uh, stamps, and so I gave him a sheet of those, and so he started bringing me in different prints that he had done or pages, and and I think he might, he might have liked for me to ask to sign, but I felt like that was imposing, so I never asked him to sign for him. But it was really cool to meet him. He was a really nice guy. I was sad when he passed on. Yeah, no, his, his work was, was incredible. That's so cool that you got a chance to, to talk to him like that. So we have a question here from Colleen Afrim, uh, who would like to hear about the attitudes toward people who collected comics that you experienced. Like, did people ever uh, look at you weird uh, because of that when they found out? Or was it ever a cool moment of connection? Or Okay, when I was a kid, kids read comics. I don't think we really collected them necessarily, except I kept them all until I gave them away. Um, didn't really have any kind of interactions with people that were anti-comic in my mid-collecting period. And I, would, I was also into science fiction very much. Uh, I didn't pay much attention to what people thought in that regard. Nowadays, hey, I'm proud to be a nerd, you know? So I may be an old nerd. I don't know <laughs> how well it goes over with my community. I know that at my birthday party, we had, I'm a birder as well, and we had bird things, and we had Avengers things, and I didn't hear too much snickering. Oh, no. I mean, a bunch of the conversations I was hearing, even when you were out of the room, was talking about, like, Marvel movies and stuff like that. I mean, it's yeah. it's mainstream now, and it's... Uh... I, I mean, I guess there's a part of me that kind of liked being a part of that exclusive club who knew about it, but mostly I'm just happy that people are getting exposed to the stuff that we've enjoyed for so long. I'm, I'm glad it's just getting out there because there's so much quality. Yep, and one of the reasons I enjoy it, of course, is to see all these comics that I read as a kid being put into a movie form, something that, you know, just showing, even if there's some changes and things, but it's, it's nostalgia. So, you know, I'm also into really good cinema. But then, you know, I read these people like Scorsese, who derides the movies and all that. Hey, the movies are great. They're fun. They got good actors. They got good plots. Um, just because they're not, in fact, some of them make statements just because they're not, oh, you know, serious and, and uh, completely realistic. So I didn't appreciate his comments. Yeah, seriously. I mean, there's a lot to be said for fun. And I think there's also a lot to be said for when you do have a message, like, you know, you'll have a thoughtful movie like, say, Black Panther. I think putting that message into an exciting superhero film, it's going to reach a lot more people, you know? If it was in an arts film, you could maybe do it, like, better or more maturely or whatever. But, like, a tenth of the people would see it, max. So... A hundredth. Yeah, basically. I mean, just because culture is pop culture, that's not necessarily a negative. There's, there's a lot to be said for pop culture. 
I agree. PJ&J asks, what issue or moment were you most excited for Miles to get to? I think referring to when you gave me all those old comics and I started to get into comics. New Mutants. I mean, that was one of my loves. And, of course, I get to say two things. New Mutants and uh, um, Thor, Simonson's Thor. Especially the one where Finn Fang Foom makes an appearance. That just said, whoa. <laughs> oh, I remember yeah. him before superheroes reading you know, Finn Fang Foom. Yeah, because he was one of those characters that was in the um, Golden Age a little bit, right? Mm, well, I know that he was in the monster books that Marvel was doing before they did superheroes. It was Monster of the Month. I can't remember, remember the titles. But it could have been Journey into Mystery, maybe. Amazing Tales, the one that Spider-Man first appeared in. Oh, Amazing Fantasy? Yeah, Amazing Fantasy, yeah. Yeah, yeah my knowledge of that era is, uh, is very sparse, but um, yeah. Well, I, I did start reading them before superheroes, at least before Marvel superheroes, so I remember all those monsters. So it's always fun to see one pop up again. Yeah, like I know, I mean, uh, Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy, he was originally one of those old, uh, those old monsters, right? That one I don't remember, but I, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, there's just so much uh, out there. Like, I could, I wish I could just quit my day job and just read, you know, old comics and just build the complete picture of the Marvel Universe. But um, that sounds really hard. Um, I don't think my brain could hold all that now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, let's do, uh, I think we have time for one more question. Adam Reck asks... Contemporary readers have to look at X-Men through the lens of their own childhoods. Was the experience of reading X-Men as it came out as revolutionary an experience as I imagine it must have been? Well, when X-Men first came out, it wasn't that exciting. Oh, like the old Silver Age stuff? Yeah, the old. Um, getting back into it probably at the time of Days of Future Past and things like that, and seeing topics that, you know, referred to prejudice, things like that. Yeah, that was great. Um, that's really about all I have to say on that one. Fair, fair, yeah. Um, was it one of those things where you knew that you were reading something special, or at the time did it just seem like, oh, this is just a really good comic? Like, did you did, could you tell it was going to get as big as it ended up getting? I think it was more than just another comic. It was just so great to have really good stories that pertain to things going on in the world, but just Big, I think the main thing is just really, really good, long, involved, complex stories. And that's definitely a legacy that's continued. I mean, looking at House of X and Powers of Ten and just everything they draw from, that's been something that's really cool to talk to you about because we each have our own eras that we've um, that have been very formative for us X-Men-wise and just piecing everything together and getting excited about, I can't believe they did this. Like, it's really cool to, to be able to do that week by week with, you know, the person who got me into X-Men and who got me into comics. Yeah, in fact, we talk to each other each week and used to be, oh, how you doing? What's going on? And now it's like, Comics, 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 comics for the whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we usually dedicate a few minutes to things outside of comics, that, that real life I've heard so much about. Yeah. Um, one more thing. I don't know how this fits in or if you want to have it in. But, and I was, again, I was thinking back to my early days of comics. And one of the experiences I had as a kid I love comics, and I had somebody that gave me some of his brother's comics. 
but his brother's comics were EC comics. Oh, the old horror ones. And yeah. I was like maybe six, seven years old. And they were just well, stuff I might appreciate now, but man, this acid and vampires' faces and people's heads cut off and all that. And I could see, I don't think it was right, it should have been handled differently, but I can kind of understand where the comics code came from because, boy, when I read that, I was not in good shape. Nowadays, I appreciate things like that and um, different things they publish. I imagine they do have ways of preventing them from getting into the wrong hands as far as children. Um, Omaha the Cat Dancer, for example. All right. Um, some of the underground stuff was unbelievably gross. But, you know, I just thought back to that and said, that was not one of my best comics experiences. <laughs> I was reading EC Comics. Fair. Oh, I remember um, you had this old previews magazine, like the big, thick magazine of all the comics coming out. And I think it had like, like a price guide in it. Maybe it was Comics Buyer's Guide. I don't know. But I remember there was this ad for an old crime comic. And I had a picture of the cover, and it was this woman with her eye being held open, and somebody coming in with like a hypodermic needle right to her eye. And it was a similar, like, oh, I am too young for this. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Which I almost feel like is like a, a mandatory part uh, of, um, of getting into comics. It's like, oh, hey, I like this. I like this. I, whoa, what is that? Like, it seems like everybody's got some kind of a, a story like that from their childhoods regarding comics. Well, I feel like we could go on uh, reminiscing forever, but the listeners would probably eventually get bored. So I think that's the time we have for today. But thank you so much for being on the show. It's been so cool to have you on here. Like, the more I think about it, you got me into comics in general and X-Men in particular. Jay was already into comics, but I was the one that got him into X-Men. So in a way, this show would not actually exist without you. So thank you for all of those things. Glad I did it. It's been fun, and I'm glad I finally got to come on the show. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're very, very welcome. So I guess we're done for now, but the last thing I'll say is happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> and with that... This week's episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men was recorded in Bradenton, Florida, and produced by Matt Hunter. New episodes come out every Sunday on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and at explainthexmen.com. Check out explainthexmen.com for all kinds of extra content, including visual companions for every episode. Our show is 100% listener-supported. If you'd like to help us stay on the air and ad-free, check out the Patreon link at the top of explainthexmen.com. Next week, Jay and Miles will both be back behind the mic. As the Phalanx Covenant finally begins. (laughs) 